0: This is episode 230. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing Voyager's sixth season episodes Tinker Tenor, Dr. Spy, Alice, and Riddles. Here we go.
1: Tinker Tenor, Dr. Spy, Season 6, Episode 4, Production Code 224, Original air date, October 13th, 1999. Directed by John Bruno, story by Bill Falleli, teleplay by Joe Minoski, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Jay Leggett as Phlox,
2: Googie Gress as Overlooker, and Robert Greenberg as Devereaux. <laughs> The Doctor alters his own subroutines, allowing himself to daydream. The ego-fulfilling fantasies include one where he becomes the emergency command hologram and defeats an attacking alien vessel using a fictional deadly photonic cannon. The Doctor, though, finds that his daydreams are occurring when he doesn't want them to, interfering with his work to the point that daydreaming has become his only reality. Activate the photonic cannon.
0: an order! Activating the photonic cannon, sir. I'd rather not give the order to fire. My
2: sensors are showing no activation sequence. Of course not. The photonic cannon is impervious to sensors. The Borg couldn't detect it either. That's why they were destroyed.
0: Tinker, Tenor, Doctor, Spy in which we learn the Doctor cannot paint. Hmm. <laughs> Right, Does 'cause because you you don't expect to see anything, and then they show you, and they um they leave a lot to be desired. I think. Right, right.
2: Well, this wasn't long after Titanic, so that's what it kind of that the Titanic scene reminded mm. me
0: of. Steve, kick us off on Tinker Tenor.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I'm quite fond of this episode, as many people are, and it's very entertaining. Um, one of these kind of rare um, mostly comic episodes. I mean, that's consistently is comical and funny throughout the entire episode and actually works that way. You know, I mean, there have been, uh, fails, you know, where they just try to be a big, funny episode and it just doesn't work very well, but I think they succeed in making something that's genuinely funny, obviously focusing on the doctor helps, uh, but also having, um, some kind of element of a a real plot that's involved as well. And it's, And it's not, it's serious, but it's not so serious that the tone clashes with the comical nature of the episode. And, and you also get some, a little bit of growth from the doctor and, uh, and these, and of course these moments, these, you know, heroic things and, you know, these, these daydreams, it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. And I think it's a well-rounded fun episode. One of these, that's a, it's a fun one to, uh. You know, to play for people, you want to show how entertaining you know Star Trek can be. So, yeah, I enjoy it.
0: Yeah, kind of the closest thing to a flat-out comedy. I mean, this is this is almost there. Looking for parmac in all the wrong places. Right, almost. right. Adam, your first thoughts here?
2: Yeah, I totally agree with Steve. I mean, yeah, it's um it's it's good there's yeah there's there's a lot of comic comical moments in this episode and there's cheese but it's not it's good cheese i mean it's very cheesy i mean you know the um the scene with um janeway polana and seven all competing over the doctor eventually you know janeway being the captain she gets to you know take you know all these very neurotic fantasies that that are going on in the doctor's head and um you know this has kind of been set up throughout the years with the doctor you can kind of you know he's kind of neurotic and he's kind of self-absorbed and so these fantasies kind of aren't out of place for him you don't you don't watch these fantasies and you're not like you know what's going on here this isn't right it's just it kind of fits his personality even though they're outlandish in their scope it 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 fits him and, and it's fun to see the characters um in this um, setting, and I'm sure it was fun for the actors to kind of do something different that's outside the, the premise of what their characters would do.
0: Yeah, so much of it is is Bob Picardo. They they would never they couldn't have done this episode in the first season, right? They they needed time to see how good he was and to dip their toe into letting him do some of these different things. And you can just tell at this point in the show. I mean, it's almost like you can tell the writers want to write for him, they all like writing for him. Like, You know what I mean?
2: Well, When I was looking up my synopsis, I was reading that um, this was originally written for Neelix. It was going to be Neelix's Daydreams, and then they switched it to the Doctor. So I think they made the right choice.
0: I guess that's what holds this episode back. Um, And this is not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's just, it never quite feels, I don't know, uh, as original and well-rounded as, say, looking for Parmok. I don't think... Uh, it doesn't feel like they were approaching it like it was a flat-out comedy. Like they were held, holding themselves back just, just enough that I could tell, you know? Right, right.
2: Yeah, I mean, they had the. There was a little bit of a um, serious nature. I mean, you know, the the ship was going to be attacked, and you know, basically a, a lot of their cargo and things were going to be taken. So there was that serious side of it with um with the with this other species that was you know looking to attack. So they kind of had some. There's probably a little more suspense to that um, gravity, um, grave suspense to this one. Because if things didn't go right, then, you know, they were going to be attacked or destroyed or had most of their cargo taken.
0: A rare opportunity for the computer to make me laugh. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Warp core breach, a lot sooner than you think. (laughs) That's (laughs) That's pretty funny. And there was another jokey line in there, I forget. Oh, last chance to be a hero or doctor or something like yes, that. Yes, yes. It's one of the things like, you know what, I, what I've never seen? For, all the like behind-the-scenes pictures, video, I've seen stuff I've read, whatever. I've never seen anything sh- actually showing like Majel going in to record these lines. Yeah. I've yeah, never yeah, seen true. anything of that. I've never mm-hmm. read anybody talking about it, even people that must have been there and stuff. But it's something like these lines that make you remember, oh, Yes. That was Rachel Barrett Roddenberry going in and sitting down and recording this stuff. And obviously, <laughs> this is an example. These lines are so unique to this episode, never before, never again after. Uh, you know, a lot of the things she says maybe are generic enough that you're like, well, they, that could have been from another time or another episode. But no, this was definitely, this was written for her to say. and She had to go in and say it for just for this episode. I, I assume she went in and recorded, you know, a whole bunch of episodes at once or something, but I've never heard anything about that. Uh, but I like having this a moment like this. That no, I, I do remember hearing one thing when she recorded a couple of lines for the JJ movie, the first JJ movie, and they went to our house and recorded that, and that was not uh, that was shortly before she died. I remember that. But other than that, I've never heard any story about her.
2: Something else, I you know that I had down that there's a little more obviously there's a little bit more of the serious nature to this episode with um the questioning of the doctor's sentience, you know, because part of, you're kind of hearing the, it's kind of weird because it worked in this episode, but in a weird way, it kind of feels like a serious matter that got overshadowed, you know, the with Janeway and the doctor kind of going back and forth about how much freedom he would be allowed to expand his program and become better. And then Janeway obviously wrestling with that throughout the episode and coming to the conclusion that he, he should be allowed to do this. So it's yeah. There, that was another serious note throughout this um, episode that kind of got, kind of got lost a little bit in the the comedic nature of it. Yeah, and it
1: is something that kind of like comes up again and again. Kind of like kind of like Data in Next Gen, where it's like, are we still on this? You know, this whole no- notion of him being sentient, and that it's that like thing kind of for their yeah. narrative. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: He made me laugh whenever he's had that direct hit. Ha! How do you like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, is that that's really him singing, right? At like at the beginning,
1: I think so. It's not, I mean, it's not just like, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's good, but you can tell it's
0: it's him, you can tell it's, it's his voice. Oh, so, yeah, it's yeah, good. I mean, it obviously was you know recorded professionally prior to the sure, sure. show. Yeah.
2: Whatever. I mean, that whole scene is kind of you know, with Tuvok, it, it, yeah, it was very well done.
0: It's one of those things where I wish I could have, I wish I could watch it without seeing the name or you know, knowing what I was about to watch because if I. It, I immediately knew, oh yeah, this is the daydream. Otherwise <laughs> yeah. it would be a lot more effective. <laughs> uh, what is this episode about?
2: Like I said, I got into a little bit about, you know, what freedoms, you know, you were allowed as a, not only as a crew member, but as a, an individual person. Um, that came up in this episode, but it was kind of underlying. Um, another part about this episode is, um, you know, our, you know, you know it talks about daydreaming and the questioning of it daydreams allow you to think beyond yourself. I think that's kind of the whole theme throughout this episode. Not only did the doctor wanted to become more than what he is, but you know the like the the line Janeway said you know that daydreams allow you to imagine yourself to be being better, so that's what I took a lot from this episode.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it is like we said. It's it's kind of more of the uh, what we've seen in terms of expanding his expanding his programming, expanding make you know becoming more than what you were before, and this kind of thing, which we've seen before. I think the extra element maybe that they take on is like you said with the daydreams, this idea of you know, many people just, just only imagine, you know, and they only can imagine what they do. They never really get a chance to play out these fantasies or to really step it up and go beyond. And it's, it's a very different thing than actually imagining it. And it's kind of exploring that and how in his case, he was, he was ultimately successful, but it was, it was hard. You know, they, I think he portrayed very well, the notion of, okay, here's this, you're in command now. And it wasn't like his daydreams, you know, it's like, Oh, he's, he's got the nerves he's scared and but he you know he found it's himself reality. and yeah yeah so
2: yeah tops tops on the you know i guess it kind of hits on that theme you know i mean you create your own reality
1: Hmm. Hmm. yep so
2: yeah it's it i
1: mean there's is kind of the the, the themes we s- often see with the doctor but i think it does there's a little extra something in there with uh mm-hmm. with the daydream element so
0: All right, let's do Six Degrees for Tinker, Tenor, Dr. Spy. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. All right. Giving you guys some tough ones because none of these, there was no recurring people, so I'm just going to ask more like trivia stuff. All right. The title of this episode, Tinker, Tenor, Dr. Spy, is a play on a famous novel that has been made into TV and movies, or at least one movie. Name it. And it was a so it was a BB. It was a famous novel, and then it was a BBC show from the late '70s, which I actually remember. But then they did a movie a few years ago that I kind of like.
1: Okay, let me think here. It's very similar. <laughs> which yep. words do substitute Definitely is uh,
0: Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy? Yes, sir. Nice word. All right, Adam. Here's a really freaking hard question. <laughs> That novel was written by John le Carré, Name his most well-known spy novel from 1963. Yeah, no
1: clue, Steve. Ugh, I know, I know, I know, it and I hear it or something. Yes, but, you uh, would definitely uh... <laughs> recognize the title, I'm sure of it. But... Um, and and the author's name is even familiar to me, but
0: uh... that was that's that is his pen name. I don't think it's his real name, but that's what everybody.
1: Knows okay, about. okay. Um I'm trying to come up with some something that's intelligent here to say, but I um it's escaping me, I don't know.
0: The spy who came in from the cold.
1: Okay. Yep.
0: Alright, Steve has one moving on. <laughs> Alice, Season 6, Episode 5,
1: Production Code 226, Original Air Date October 20th, 1999. Directed by David Livingston, Story by Julianne Delane, Teleplay by Brian Fuller and Michael Taylor, Music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Claire Rankin as Alice and John Fleck as Abaddon.
2: Voyager finds an alien junkyard and trades for supplies with the junk dealer. Tom Paris discovers a rusty old shuttle in the yard and convinces Chicote to let him bring it aboard and restore it. Tom discovers that the shuttle is equipped with a neural interface which reads and communicates directly with the pilot's mind, giving instantaneous maneuverability. He tries out the interface, and the ship makes a record of his brain patterns. As time goes on, Paris becomes more and more obsessed with restoring and caring for this new shuttle, which he has named Alice. He can even hear her speaking to him. No matter how many starships I've piloted since then, I'm still chasing that feeling. Tomorrow you'll catch it. Only this time there won't be any clumsy controls to get in the way. Just you. And me. And the stars.
0: Okay, so this episode is a, I wanted to say loose retelling, but it really isn't that loose. <laughs> kind of a retelling of... Uh, Stephen King, Christine, which I know growing up from the movie, not so much the book. But certainly if you are not familiar with Christine at all, then this is everything old is new again. But if you are familiar with Christine, then you can't help but see through it and see see the holes, right? So for example, when you think about Christine um, and how wonderfully effective it is, The car doesn't talk, man. The car doesn't talk. There's no woman. He doesn't see a literal woman talking to him, right? It's a lot more psychological and and smart and uh, effective. And I just regularly felt like this episode um, dumbed everything down and made it so on the nose. I mean, he literally sees her and he literally talks with her. Just in so many ways that it seemed to kind of take take everything interesting about it uh and just make it a uh, bad guy good guy i've seen it before her you know telling him to do this or whatever i don't know uh it's an episode that i always want to like and always remember once i get into it i'm like oh yeah this is the one that misses the mark for me uh adam kind of what do you what are you first thinking here on alice
2: You know, I kind of have the same thoughts as you do, Brian, about this. I kind of this is this was a strange episode for me, um, and I'll I'll explain. Let me explain it out to me because I, in the middle of this episode, or about two thirds of the way through, I was kind of like you. I'm kind of like, oh, you know, this isn't a bad episode, but it's not a good episode either. Um, You know, we've seen Tom in these predicaments before. It's not really anything totally new for his character. Um, You know, um, so like 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 I said, like about halfway through, I'm just like, meh. Me me, whatever, but um the end kind of turned me around because I kind of think this episode, at least for me, I don't know, you guys may disagree, and uh, I totally wouldn't, wouldn't won't argue with you, but for me, this episode kind of pinned on that last couple scenes with um with Bellana and him, and it kind of felt like this episode was more about them towards the end because it had a for me it had a strong ending, and I kind of felt like there was that connection there that she brought him back. And um, even the scene in sick Bay, I kind of felt like he was so remorseful about what had happened. And it was just to me, it was a tender, tender moment between the two of them that, frankly, that I don't feel like we get enough of in Voyager um, exploring their relationship. So by the end of it, I wouldn't say this is a good episode, but I, I felt satisfied just because of um, those two. And that's what my take on it is. But I totally agree with what you're kinda saying. The story was kinda like, eh. And even at the end we're like, what was the what was the ship's motivation to get into this particle fountain? I I was kinda curious about that. But like I said, those two kind of saved it for me.
0: Well it kind of also it it kinda doesn't make sense. This incredibly advanced ship, but all she's doing is flying into that particle fountain. I'm like, couldn't she have done that without a pilot? I mean I don't (laughs) know. Yeah,
2: Yeah, it was kinda goofy. I didn't see anything
0: that really necessitated whatever she was getting out of having a pilot I, I don't know steve your first thoughts
1: no i think i agree with everything that's been said it's um yeah i mean I, I i like it fine i think it's definitely one of these that suffers from being placed where it is in the order of the episodes and so on and um but but i but i agree it's kind of lackluster it's interesting the notion is interesting but of course it's derivative and it's and uh i I agree with adam on the um the bond between him and torres i do think there's something there's something there um they don't it probably would have benefited from playing that up more maybe you know like having less of the kind of phony baloney let's let's see the you know the woman that he's talking to in the ship and all of that and have more of their conflict and trying to bring him back you know throughout the whole thing or something but uh so uh given all given all that i think it's kind of a missed opportunity maybe but uh it's it's not it's not not bad but it's certainly kind of um below the mark that we're seeing here in the fifth sixth season time span here
0: of voyager i just keep going back to you know if you can't do it as well or better then why are you doing it i don't know like that that moment when the ship's trying to, to kill torres now that's that's that scene is straight out of Christine. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, <laughs> it's so great, you know, when when Christine is trying to kill the girl by making she's like choking on the popcorn and she's trying to get out of the car. and it's a very effective scene. And here it's just it's just so like it's just like the little kid version of it. it I don't know. it's it's just you it's a it's a fair comparison you're you're going to directly lift it that's it's i can't help it
2: well so okay brian i had down like the ship isn't intimidating at all it's like it looks like it has an air conditioner on the front of it it's kind of it looks like they kind of put together something with the shuttle spare parts that they had for you know federation shuttle crafts that they use um and then it's green and black it's not scary at all or intimidating like christine was you know christine was red yeah but that huge front grill and everything was just Mm -hmm. kind of a scary looking ship and this one is not at all it's actually kind of goofy looking like i said i couldn't every time i looked at it i'm like they have like a window unit on the front of the window yeah no you're right i didn't think about that's (laughs) a
0: good point there's nothing like inherently scary about this yeah yeah
2: and then, then it's green and black. I'm like, yeah, it's not really intimidating colors, but okay.
0: You know, also that flight suit is not the best <laughs> look for Tom Paris.
2: I don't think it's the best look for anybody.
0: It's a little bit frumpy. <laughs> there's like there's like these like rolls <laughs> The, for, I'm it. reminded
1: of those like parachute pants and the similar kind of material, you know, back in back in the day or whatever, you know, where there's like this big old blows up all over, you, you know, kind of thing.
2: Yeah, and, and Tom grows a quick beard, but I don't. It's kind of hard to tell how much time passes in this episode, but yeah.
1: it's pretty pathetic when he's like walking around in it. You know, I mean, I get I get the point <laughs> of it, but it's so pathetic. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> just like, look at me and my looking like I haven't showered in a week and this goofy looking outfit. You know,
0: mm-hmm. he should have had a. You know, like Thor and <laughs> Endgame, <laughs> some sunglasses, and a beer,
2: just a robe.
1: <laughs> it's a yeah, big pocket. Yeah, within the a dude. few days somehow.
2: Well, the Big Lebowski hadn't. Did uh, the, the, the Big Lebowski come out by this time? So maybe yeah, thing I was think so. Wasn't it. that mid nineties? No, it was late nineties that Big Lebowski came out. Okay,
0: yeah, late 90s. but still would have been before this. This is ninety nine. So. You know, I like Tom Paris. I just. I feel like I've said this before, but there aren't a lot of Tom episodes that I like. I don't know what it is. Maybe he's just more of a supporting character. There are definitely, like, Kim episodes that I really... There are some Kim episodes I don't like, but there are definitely Kim episodes I like. I would be hard-pressed to name for you Tom episodes that I like. I can name for you Tom moments that I like, and I like the character. I like him in other stuff. Heck, in one of those Dr. Daydreams in the last episode, when... (laughs) When he's like uh, letting Torres down easy, and he says, "But it's the other guy," and they like cut to cut to Tom, and he's like waving. It. It's, <laughs> it's funny. yeah. <laughs> it's funny. He's great, you know. But as far as him being the lead and it being a Tom episode, I, I gosh, I'm hard pressed to give you examples of ones I like. I don't know.
2: Well, because the problem with it, because this is similar to other episodes, Tom episodes, you know. So let's the one that I that one of the worst episodes i think in voyagers and you know the salamander episode it's kind of similar to this episode you know threshold threshold um you know it's it's oh they they even say it in here you know tom you know he's got a new cause or he's got a new obsession so that's kind of what they keep doing with him and they don't really do anything kind of different um so i think that's quite even this episode like i said i I'm with Steve. I wouldn't say this is a good episode. It just kind—it's of, marginally—it's marginally good. It's okay. Um, I would watch this episode again, but it's—it's it's not unique for the show, and it's not even unique for the character. So I think that's kind of where, at this point in Foragers Run in season six, when they're kind of doing similar, you know, Tom Paris episodes that they were doing in season two, it's kind of—I don't know—I don't know what you would call that. Maybe just. I couldn't think of anything else to do with Tom. What is this episode about? What I took out of it is like um where um, obsession clouds your judgment and it, and it can kind of, you know, destroy your life. I mean, it's very much encapsulated quickly in this episode and, you know, they do give a reason for Tom's craziness. But I mean, you know, in in general, a lot of people get obsessed with work or something a hobby that they're doing and they lose sight of um everything else around them and you know they can you know it it could be very detrimental to to your life and yourself and people around you
1: yeah i think that's definitely what they're going for is the um you know the addictive quality of of anything really i mean you get into something and and it can just totally absorb you at the cost of those you love and everything else um i i think I think it's just it's the, it's the um, implementation of it as we've kind of discussed. There's just they didn't. Um, there, there were a number of missed opportunities to kind of focus in on one element. There were certain good things, but it just wasn't uh, overall, you know, that solid enough to kind of hit the hit that mark um, of this point in the series. I think so.
0: All right, let's do six degrees for Alice. Adam, are you going first or second? Uh, I suppose I'll go first. John Fleck plays Abaddon, the junk dealer. In Deep Space Nine, he played Koval in the episode. Uh, that was He was a Romulan, I believe, and that was the Section 31 thing. Uh, in the episode, Inter Arma Enum Silent legos What does that title translate to again? I say again because I'm pretty sure I asked this many, many years ago when we did DS9. <laughs> What was the title again? Inter Arma Enum Silent Legus. Uh, I'll give you one hint. Right. Silent means silent.
2: Silent. I really have no idea. I could make some outlandish guess, but I'll just let Steve take it.
1: I, I don't remember literally now. It has something to do with, you know... In 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 the in the in the in the midst of war, morals go silent, or something. Yep, like I'll that.
0: give you that. In times of war, the law falls silent. Okay, okay, I'll give you that one. Uh, Fleck is best known, Steve, in Star Trek for playing a Suleban in multiple episodes of Enterprise. Name that character. Yeah, I kind of figured you'd
1: ask this one. <laughs> this is a uh, Silic. Yes, sir.
0: Silic. Yeah, I had to ask that. I mean, mm-hmm. even just his, his voice, you're like, oh, that's silic.
1: Yeah, he's got a very distinctive face and voice. So yeah, I he guess. does. He's
0: got, we talked about this. There are certain people that, even when they have the yeah. mask on, you're like, yep, that's so and so. He's one of those people. I've seen him at a convention or two over the years. He's, he's a pretty nice guy. Uh, all right. Steve has three. Moving on. <laughs> Riddles, Season 6,
1: Episode 6, Production Code 227, Original Air Date, November 3rd, 1999. Directed by Roxanne Dawson, Story by Andre Bormanis, Teleplay by Robert Doherty, Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Mark Moses as
2: Narok. Neelix and Tuvok are returning from a diplomatic mission. While in flight, Tuvok discovers a cloaking frequency and suffers neurological damage after an attack by a cloaked alien. Tuvok experiences cognitive impairment, memory loss, and personal changes, and the loss of emotional control. Neelix is resolved to help Tuvok recover. In the process, they develop a deep friendship, and Tuvok's recovery ensures he is slowly able to recall details of the attack as well as discovering new abilities in himself, such as culinary and sculpting arts, all while enjoying jazz and fun. But I didn't return those feelings. You tolerated me.
1: I don't understand. You said things like, uh, Mr. Neelix, please contain your exuberance. And uh,
0: Mr. Neelix, I have no desire for fun. (laughs) And you never smiled. you got a much better sense of humor now. I just got to get this question out of the way immediately. And it sounds like I'm making a joke because I always make a joke like this, but it's not. I'm serious. At the end, does Tuvok remember everything that he went through after he's gone through the procedure to become normal again? That wasn't clear to me.
1: That's I don't know if that's made clear. I'm not sure we know.
0: Because if he does remember, then I think it's that he's probably a little unkind to Neelix at the end. And it kind of takes away from the whole episode to me. But if he doesn't remember, then I'm totally fine with it. <laughs> I wish they'd made that clear. Okay. Um, Steve, get us going on riddles. You know, this is a,
1: it's kind of like another chapter in the Tubok Neelix saga. You know, it's kind of its own thing throughout the whole series in a way. I mean, because we've, you know, from the, the first season, I think really there's, there's like this arc where well, you the have the pilot these- when yeah. you go to get him yeah. out of the bathtub. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and it's, it's so fascinating because I mean, you know, it's, they've, they've been one person We've <laughs> been that it's gone that far, you know? So, I mean, they have a, a very interesting saga here. And I think this is a, a worthy episode in that saga. I mean, I think it's, it's quite entertaining. I think it's, it's always, and it's always fun of course, to see, um, an actor get to, uh, you know, do something unusual, which I'm sure, you know, Tim Russ enjoyed, you know, playing playing this version of, of Tuvok in this episode. And I think it's, and I think, I think it's interesting because it does raise a lot of questions. It raises, you know, these ideas, this this note, and again, we're going, I don't want to go straight to what it's about, but all these notions of identity and who we are and we, we, we all are like this to some extent or another, you know, and talking about how, how important it is our, our work and our contributions you know, for our value we give, uh, to the world and to our friends and to our loved ones and so on and so forth. And how much he portrays that and how much of a struggle it is. And it also, you know, again, I I think Neelix is at his best really in, in these things where he's working opposite of Tubak, or i should say the actors but you know i like the character that way because it really shows off how you know neelix has a lot of value he's really good at what he does when he does this kind of thing when he's when he's when he's there to help someone through some kind of struggle you know um he's at his best and uh i I mean yeah i think that there's a lot going for this episode i really enjoy it
0: yeah neelix that's one note i like bolded here he really is the perfect guy for this because he's so you know, like, you feel like he wouldn't judge anybody, you know, he's so yeah. thoughtful and caring with Tuvok and it wouldn't even matter how Tuvok is treating him. I mean he just can't do it any other way. He's so, I don't know, human. He's so, uh, he has some such empathy and it's so instinctive. Even when he gets frustrated, he, he's, he's not doing it around Tuvok. He's going, you know, he's going to the mess hall by himself. And then, you know seven's there to uh, help show him another way but he's just like the perfect guy i like i can't imagine i don't think there's anybody else there's any other character on this show that could have made this episode work except neelix uh adam your first thoughts
2: pretty much in agreement with everything that's been said so far i mean um tim ross Tubak, you know playing pretty much you know a childlike form of himself you know it's you know, it gets very childlike to kind of you know. By the time he goes back to being Tuvok, he's kind of in, in his in his adolescence there. So it's a it's an interesting progression of of watching Tuvok grow from kind of a, an infant, almost to teenage years, and then you know back to, to his normal self. But I'm I'm in total agreement with you guys about about Neelix. You know, you think about you think about this character when we go back to you know season one and two and. I remember we were, we had these discussions about Neelix about how painful it was sometimes to kind of watch the character and kind of the decisions that he'd made they'd made for him. But if you look back, you know all those elements, the good elements that they had written for him back then, are still there. You know, um, you know, back early on, you know, he was he was caring for um for Kes. You know, he was helping Kes, and this is the kind of character that he is. He will always give everything that he has to help those that he cares for. And you know what Steve's mentioned. You know, you know, there's been several of these Tuvok Neelix episodes or encounters um, throughout the series thus far. And um, and you know, Neelix, like Brian said, is is perfect to, to take on this caring role for Neelix, while there's this other kind of serious matter going on that nobody questions. That hey, Neelix, and Neelix has got this. And um, it, to me, it just says a lot. Um, from where the character started and where he is now.
0: Yeah, you know, that's a good point about the way everyone else reacts to Neelix taking care of this. And, you know, we see the way the doctor reacts to that. We see the way Janeway reacts to that when she asks Tuvok to have lunch with her because we forget they were originally very good friends. We just don't get a lot of, we don't see a lot of that on the show. But And when Tuvok says that he'd rather stay with Neelix, I don't think she's offended. I think she's, you know she understands, and maybe a little disappointed, but she trusts and 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 believes in Neelix so much that she's i mean, I think she's happy that Tuvok has someone that gives him that comfort at this point. so yeah, the way the other characters trust Neelix is also evident in this episode and another uh, defining characteristic. I would have liked to have eaten some of those desserts, I think. <laughs> Somebody had to eat those, right? I mean, they made all, those looked real, right? Yeah, yeah. Could be at least edible, right? Even sitting in front of the hot studio lights Mm -hmm. for a few hours. I mean, I bet they'd still taste good.
2: Should be all right. I think so. I would, I'd still eat them. (laughs) <laughs> I'm still thinking about what Steve said. You know, they were the same person at one time. You know, it's fun. These yep. <laughs> how how the, It's a unique, it is. I mean, the more I think about it, it's a unique relationship, Um, these two. And it's kind of understated because, you know, you think of Voyager, you think of Seven and Nine, and, you know, Borg, that kind of thing. You think of Next Gen, Picard, Q, that kind of thing. But, I mean, this is a really very good relationship and a good, car- you know, good combination of acting chemistry between these two, and just the way they were written together. Um, and like I said, if if, if you were just watching Voyager and you're you know you're in the middle of season two, you, I don't think you could ever guess like this kind of like a um, you know this kind of outcome comes season six. So it's it's fascinating to me.
0: What's this episode about?
2: I think we've kind of talked about it. It's you know the the family. The, the caring that you have for those who are close to you and what you would do to help them overcome whether, even, you know, and you see this in this episode, you know, there's this, there's a point in the episode where, you know, Tuvok may stay this way for the rest of his life and you can still see the acceptance of, of Neelix of him, no matter if he's Tuvok again or not. And so um, there's a lot of caring tenderness in this episode and that's kind of what I took from it.
0: That's another one of those thoughts I had. We keep talking about this more and more, but how would this show be different if it was made today? Mm-hmm. This, the storyline that takes place in this episode, would have taken place uh, over the course of several episodes. Yeah. It probably would have had the same amount of screen time. It just would have been broken up among multiple episodes. So it would have we it would have had the practical effect of Tuvok being this way for a lot longer.
1: And yeah, Eddie may have uh, stayed in that state, they may not have operated on him and changed him back. I don't know, but uh, yeah, you know, what's interesting about this is that I was kind of alluded to for me the, the biggest impression I got was the uh, out of this episode was the notion of identity and how much we place our value in our work and all this kind of thing. But Adam had good points there too with the kind of that notion of um, you know coming, you know, helping someone through a difficult time and, you know, the value and all of that and how selfless it is. And I think this is one of those rare episodes where I think it's, I don't know that it's gotten... I think it works really well, yet it doesn't have a absolute key singular point to it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I think, I think you have this, I I mean, if you focus on Tuvok, you've got that struggle with identity and the pride that comes with it. And I am my work and I am my intelligence and my poise and so on and so forth. And then if you focus on Neelix, you see what he does and how selfless he, he is and how he, he He gets the, he gets so much satisfaction from just helping and being there and getting that, you know, that kind of thing, even though he knows he'll, he's, you know, Tuvok's going to get changed back the way he was. He's not going to ever have that kind of friendship and that kind of thing. But, you know, you know, it's, it's interesting because it it has those two points that I don't think are necessarily always related to each other, but I think it, it, it equally tackles them and so it's it's got a lot to say and I think it does it it does it really well in a you know an efficient manner this episode.
0: Let's do six degrees for riddles. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Mark Moses plays Narok, the scientist that is very eager to find the hidden guys. We see him in the opening moments of Enterprise as what character?
2: Hmm
1: hmm, hmm. okay. Let me think. <laughs> Gosh um the 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 Klingon on the ship that crashes or something? I'm trying to remember the beginning. That's all that's all I got.
2: Nope. Adam? Um, would he have been the farmer that shot said Klingon?
0: Nope. When I say opening moments, I'm pretty sure this is how the entire episode literally opens. But now since you're both guessing other things, you've got me questioning my memory. <laughs> but he played Henry Archer, Jonathan Archer's dad, in the flashback scene where they're playing with the model.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Isn't
0: that how it literally opens with the with that, or does it open with the Klingon? Now I'm pretty sure it opens with them them playing with the model. Doesn't okay. Matter. Okay. I I honestly can't tell yeah. you a hundred percent, but yeah, you know. I couldn't tell you either way either. Okay.
2: The farm scene was more dramatic. It just stuck in. The yes, it was.
0: It. Uh, Adam Moses is best known. For playing a recurring character in what Matthew Weiner show? Sorry, had to ask because I love this show. Most of it, it tapered off near the end, uh, but I love him in this show. He has a couple of my favorite scenes. Mm, I'm gonna paraphrase. I'm gonna paraphrase. You cause trouble, buddy, and uh, you won't be able to work anywhere. We will. Some gosh, what's the line about? You know, something about your contract and then the reply is I don't have a contract. Right, anyway.
2: Uh no clue. Steve?
0: No, I'm sorry. Mad Men. Oh, okay. oh okay. Mad okay. Men. It was a it
2: was a pretty popular show
0: for a while. Oh, it was yeah, certainly yeah. Yeah, I've seen too. that. I've actually seen the whole thing too. I couldn't remember. Oh. It. You don't don't oh you I'm the only person that remember that great scene when he's like I don't have a contract.
2: Oh, yeah. He plays the... So, yeah, he's the um, right. the marketing guy. Okay.
0: Uh Okay. I won't give you the number, but Steve took it for the day.
2: Beat me up. 3-1 or 3-0. I <laughs> need to get...
0: Not a lot going on news-wise, but it's officially October, which means we are officially very close to Mr. Pickard. <laughs> yeah. So that's exciting. Did you guys get the sad news? Knowledge. Yeah,
2: that is. Unfortunate. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Actually, I uh, that's one of the, uh, the first time in a long time I I actually tweeted. Uh, well, because he was just at um, we're talking about Aaron Eisenberg passing away. Uh, he was just at um, wasn't he just at Creation Vegas like a few weeks before this. I, that's yeah, maybe so. I don't recall. And I know he's had health issues all his life and i remember seeing him talk about you know doctors had told him that he wasn't going to live that long and you know he you know lived massively longer than they all said he would but yeah it was sad you know i think part of it too was because having just watched that uh excellent um ds9 documentary uh and he's so great in it and he's so like genuine in it all right well on that note You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. We are going to be back in two weeks to discuss the next three episodes of Voyager's sixth season. And until then, we are very grateful that you spent an hour with us.
2: Take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.